Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I'll be reading from verse 7 through 8, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measures of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You may be seated. God is good all the time. I cannot tell you just how glad I am to finally be back with you on a Sunday. Uh, I've been one sick little puppy and didn't know why I came to find out that I had an ulcer. So they've been treating me for that and I'm doing a lot better and I'm just really, really, I've missed you. You may not have missed me. You may have been thankful for the reprieve, but uh, I'm very glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Josie, happy birthday. I offered to get the congregation to sing happy birthday to her, but she declined. Now, I'd never take a prank too far. I can't speak for others, but I would never do that. Uh, but one thing that I did notice, and I, I, I didn't think miracles still happened until yesterday. Because so many diehard Kentucky fans were actually cheering for Tennessee. <laughs> I thought, well, now that's a miracle. And well, what, what people have told me is it's not that we like Tennessee so much, it's that we just hate Duke that much. But I'll, I'll take it either way that I can get it. I remember years ago that uh, a company that I worked for, we went to Knoxville. And at the time, Pat Summit was uh, the coach of the Lady Vols and Bruce Pearl was the coach of the men. And so we went up there for some leadership training. And one of the things that we were able to do was to have Pat on one occasion and Bruce on another occasion come and address us and talk to us about leadership. And I found it very interesting, just some of the things that Pat did. Uh, she would tell us how she started every one of her days. She would walk in and she would greet everybody and ask how they were, not in the, hey, how are you doing as she walks away, but more of the, the sincere stop and, you know, tell me how you're doing. And she knew all of her staff's names. She knew their spouse's name. She knew their children's name. If they had a grandmother that was unwell, she knew about that and would ask about that. She became very personal with her staff. And then her mindset was one of the things that was a driving force in that organization, having a certain mindset. And I didn't realize it or understand it until we were able to go to the Lady Vols practice later that day. We're all sitting there in the bleachers and all the Lady Vols are practicing and Pat's walking around. You have different sections. You can see a coach with a few players over here working on something, a coach with a few players over there working on something, and Pat is going from station to station. At the time, Candace Parker was playing, uh, and I believe most of you know she's a commentator these days, but uh, Candace Parker was really like one of the team leaders. And I remember this, at one point, they're practicing and going along, and I think someone might have said something negative. 
and one of the players yelled out, no anchors. And the whole team is going, no anchors, no anchors. And I'm going, what in the world are they talking about? Come to find out, they had this mindset that an anchor is something that holds you in place. It prevents you from moving forward. It pretty much paralyzes you. And your mindset can be like an anchor. Or it can be like a sail on a boat where it captures the wind and uses it to drive you forward. So when one of the players yelled out no anchor because of a moment of a bad attitude, the whole team yelled out no anchors. And so that's something that's always stuck with me. But when you think about uh, the Lady Vols during Pat's tenure, uh, how many of you have attended a UK game at Rupp Arena when they were on their top game? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, the rest of you just not awake, I guess? I don't know. Um, but you know when you went to Rupp Arena, when they were at the height of their game, just like with Pat Summit and the Lady Vols, just like uh, uh, the racers here at Racer Arena, in the 90s, the Chicago Bulls, the Dallas Cowboys, you entered an arena of triumph. These were teams that really nobody wanted to, to face and knew it was going to be an uphill battle, but still folks went and gave them their all. But more importantly than a mindset that anyone can have is discipline. There are some days you and I wake up and we don't feel like doing thus and such. It doesn't matter how you feel. When you have discipline, you get up and you do it because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you look at the word discipline, you see within it the word disciple. We as disciples, that is followers of Jesus, we give ourselves to a form of discipline. The discipline of the commandments of God, of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we give ourselves over to. And Paul depicts the church, the gathered body of God's people, as the arena of triumph. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1798. And we'll look at how he fleshes out this notion of the church being the arena of triumph. One of the first things that he points out is that we have unity, but unity is not uniformity. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 together. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So there's the unity that we are to have. But unity does not mean uniformity. When you look at uh, various other groups, for example, the military, right? When they all go in and boot camp, they all have the same haircut. All the guys get the same haircut, right? Nobody's special. Nobody stands out. You wear the same uniform. You do the same exercises. You do the same drills. That's uniformity. It's to get people on the same page. We have unity of the faith, but if you look down at verses 7 
of this same chapter. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now look at verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we see that there's unity in the church, but not uniformity. Not everyone does the same thing or serves the same function. And sometimes the one thing that I wish churches really would realize is that there is no unimportant work for the Lord. A lot of times we look at certain roles and certain capacities that people occupy, and we go, well, now that is a very important role. And maybe it is, but that's not to say that anything else is unimportant or that we, we should look down on it because it is not the same function. In 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul speaks about the church as the body of Christ, he points out the various parts of the body. You have the head that is Christ. You have the body, the arms, the fingers, the legs, the, the, the ankles, the feet, and so forth. Each of them contribute to the overall well-being of the body, and they are all essential to the functioning of the body. And so in the church, you do have, as is pointed out here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then you have those that fit into none of those uh, categories. Maybe they are just the ones who are like Barnabas and they're, they're encouragers. Uh, you, you know, there's nothing more special than receiving a card from somebody. You know, and, and I know many of you are very active in sending cards and you probably may never know just how important that means to someone. Or receiving calls or messages, just checking on folks, that's really important to do. Or hospital visits. Or just to let someone know, hey, I've been praying for you. Sometimes that's all you have to say. And it really is a blessing in the life of others. But through that diversity, uh, we notice that growth can result Jacob and I were speaking several days ago, and uh, Jacob told me he has no desire to be a preacher, a preaching minister like what I do. And I told him I have no desire to be a youth minister. I, I don't have the desire and I don't have the energy. I doubt the youth would like a curmudgeon as their minister. But Jacob does what he does well, and I try to do what I do well. Which one is better? Than, neither is better. It's what we're made to do, and, and that's where our gifts and talents lie. I have never had the, and I, was, I think Doug Clark, I think I was told you this earlier this week, I've never had the desire to go out of the country for mission work. And I know some, you don't care about those souls? No, I care about them, but there's other folks that go and do that stuff. I also care about the souls around here too. But the reason I've not had that desire is because I have the feeling that I would go to some of these places such as Honduras or Haiti or, or India or wherever, and I would see people who are not as fortunate as we are physically, that is materialistically, and I would see a greater contentment and a greater happiness and a greater devotion to the Lord. I could not leave that and come back to America. Imagine how trying that would be and how frustrating that might be to someone. And so that's something that I've had on my mind is that if I ever left and saw the misfortunes as we would call them of others, and you know, Doug was telling me, uh, and, and Rick said as well, that there was one night that on the hill where they were in Honduras, they lost power. And 
so everybody had either candles, flashlights, or their flashlight on their phone. Now, if we lost power, what would we do? Probably cancel services, don't you think? I remember a, a brother in Christ is doing work in Tanzania. And you have this building, and, and, and a roof built off of this building, maybe as wide as one row of pews. And under that, that roof, you have chairs stacked and seated in rows and so forth, not very long. And that was their church. That's where they met. And look at us in these nice cushioned pews with heat and air conditioning. And think of, Daniel told me, uh, the missionary to Tanzania, he said some of those people walk an hour or greater one way just to come to church. And some of y'all live less than a mile and you can't show up on time. <laughs> I think that's funny. I'm, you, you can be upset by it, but you know, you and I both know you show up to work on time, don't you? If you had a court date, you'd show up to that on time. So what about our level of devotion? And what about us really being in it? You know, the Lord wants not just a part of us. He wants all of us. And maybe we need to step back and reevaluate. We are a very blessed people, not only spiritually, but we are very blessed uh, materially. We are very blessed. And sometimes that can actually be a curse. We're blessed in so many ways that we really, truly don't realize. But here, these different ones given in the church, verse 12, they're for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let's ask ourselves this question, elders and preachers and, and Bible teachers and others, how well are we doing at equipping the saints for the work of ministry? For the edifying of the body of Christ. And then you ask the question and answer it, do you feel that we are equipping you to do that work of ministry? There's nothing written in all of Scripture to where you just show up and go to church and that's all you do. You and I, young and old, rich and poor, whatever, are meant to work and serve the Lord wherever and however we can. We're not called to be pew packers. We're called to be disciples that go out and shine our light. Now here's the task that's set before them. They are to maintain the Spirit's unity, and they're to also walk worthy of the calling with which they were called. And so this is contrasted with the present age where uh, the opposite is actually expected. You know, just think how divided people are today in our society. And you hear phrases like, my truth, right? Well, that's, my, that's his, her truth. Well, there's just the truth. You know, you don't, truth isn't subjective always. You may have an experience, but the truth is the truth. And however, no matter what or how a person feels is more important than facts. The value of subjective authenticity has become core to every individual. I'm so important. And what I feel is so important that nothing else matters. 
Anything that disagrees with me is hostile and robbing me of my true freedom is what we often hear and what we often see from people. But those in Ephesus and the ancient world were very much like our modern worldly society. Uh, in Ephesians 4, look at verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Now look at chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So we have these various... Whoops, went ahead too far. We have these various... Uh, contrasted ways as Christians, you know, unity of the Spirit. And following unity of the Spirit, realizing that we are different. We may have different talents. Now, if you go back to verse 13 of chapter 4, we'll read through another portion of this. Okay, so those in various positions are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body and for the edifying of itself. So whatever you do as a Christian, whatever role you fill, whatever service you render, among the church is an important one. And just because it's not front and center and loud doesn't make it unimportant. Some of the jobs and the things that get done are done by the people who are always really never seen or heard from. Uh, one congregation where we served, there was this lady, her name was Sarah. Sarah had never been married, and so she lived her life single and fulfilled. But she did things that, as I was new at that congregation, going around and visiting the members, some of them would say, well, Sarah brought me my groceries. Sarah brought me my prescription. Sarah took me to the doctor for my outpatient procedure and brought me back. Sarah is going to sit with my mother. And Miss Sarah wasn't young. She was in her 60s, 70s, I would say. But as she knew that somebody had something going on, she would take care of it for them. And you know what? Will she be remembered in the annals of history? Probably not, but she definitely left an imprint in the minds and the hearts of her brothers and sisters by simply serving. And so you, you look at a congregation, and even that congregation, I could point to her and uh, say that that is one of the greatest servants that we have in the kingdom. 
And there's another one who's going to be on with the Lord that immediately pops to mind. I know you know her, Marianna Stubblefield. She would spend, I don't know how long on the telephone every morning, calling around to check on everybody, always doing for somebody else, never, ever really thinking of herself. Her ministry was very important. It was very vital. It wasn't upfront. It wasn't loud. It didn't receive recognition. But she served. And so we all have a place to serve. And sometimes it seems <clears throat> as if God's plan can be thwarted. When we examine verses such as 14 through 16 that we just read a moment ago, we tend to see more of this than what God wants. And some people can only ever see the bad. But what about you? Can you see the good? In any bad circumstance, is it possible to see any good in it? I know it's, it's, it can be very difficult in certain, certain things. You know, but I think about how things have changed. And I'm, here I am. I never thought I'd get to this point in my life where I would begin with a back in my day. But I remember the America I grew up in had us saying the Pledge of Allegiance in a prayer every morning in elementary school. The America I grew up in respected the differences between the biological sexes, and everybody knew what they were. The America I grew up in had bad political disagreements, but often bipartisanship to do as much good for the country as possible. The America I grew up in had values, but the America I live in is vitriolic, hateful, divisive, postmodern, and uncertain about almost everything. My head isn't buried in the sand. Instead, as in the Roman Empire, a first century full of lewdness, immorality, and many distasteful things, Paul points to the body of Christ as living counter to the ways of the world. And in the 21st century in the United States of America, we should find ourselves living counterculture, not being hateful about it, not snubbing everybody who's different from us, but loving them where they are and letting them know that God loves them and wants to forgive them. And we still need to preach that message of repent and turn to the Lord. When you think about it, sharing the gospel is a lot like one starving man showing another starving man where there's bread. If we truly believe what we believe, if we truly believe what the Scriptures teach, we should be unyielding in the face of anything. You don't have to be unkind. You don't have to be hateful. You don't have to mistreat or call names to others. And I mentioned at some point, you know, people have a habit of saying, well, God ate with sinners and tax collectors, and he did. But he never sinned with them. And he always wanted them to be better than what they were. Think about the woman caught in adultery in John's gospel. Right? Everybody brings this woman and they go, we've caught her in the very act. You know, my question has always been, okay, where's the guy? Right? Seems a little unfair. Uh, here she, where's he, right? Takes two to have an affair. Well, 
So they bring her there, and so they ask her, you know, the law of Moses commands that we should stone her. What shall we do? Well, if Jesus says stone her, then guess what? Everything that he has taught about loving your neighbor, about being patient, about all these things, well, that unravels. If he says don't stone her, then they can say, well, he doesn't believe in the law of Moses. So they think they have him caught. So he just kneels down. He starts writing something in the ground. I really wish I knew what he was writing. There have been a lot of speculation about it. We really don't know, but I would just be curious to know, hey, what'd you write? So he wrote, and he, after a while he stood up and he said, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And he goes back and kneels and he starts writing some more. And so from the oldest of them to the youngest, they began, they began walking away because they knew they were not without sin. Jesus stands and he says, woman, where are those who condemn you. They've all left. Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. So when people try to make it like Jesus is accepting of sin, that he's fine with sin, they've not read the scriptures closely enough. And so when we think about the arena of triumph, the church, we think about the various gifts that have been given and how we all serve in our own individual places. And I was listening to a speech by a fellow by the name of Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. I I think that's how you pronounce that. But he gave a speech about teamwork and looking to the highest performing team on the planet, the Navy SEALs. And so he asked one SEAL, He said, tell me what kind of person makes it through BUDS, which is kind of like Navy SEAL basic training. Uh, If you get past that, then you just go on to rougher training, apparently. But the SEAL told him in reply, he said, the guys that don't make it, let me tell you about those guys. The guys that don't make it through BUDS are the star athletes who've never been tested to the core of their body. The leaders that do nothing but delegate tasks, they never make it. The tough guys with the big muscles who want to show just how mean and strong they are, they never make it. He says those that make it through are often scrawny. They are emotionally and physically exhausted, but they make it through because in those moments of exhaustion, they dig down deep to help the person next to them. Those are the guys that make it through. It's not strength, it's not intelligence, it's service. And he gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He didn't give them to create pew packers but servants. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful to you for the day that you've created, for the health that you've given us to be able to assemble together. We're thankful to you for the grace we have through Jesus and for the forgiveness of sins that we have because of him. My prayers for us as a body that we would be that arena of triumph, that we would behave as such that we would recognize each our abilities and use them to your glory and to the service of others. 
We've not been given a spirit of fear, but one of confidence. And so help us to be confident to share the good news with our neighbors. If it's in the home, school, work, wherever we find ourselves. Help us to see them as you see them. As people that are loved and that need your salvation. Help us to share it not as judging another, but simply as one hungry man showing the other starving man where the bread is to be found. This is my prayer for us. Bless us to this end, if it be your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.